Has anything like that ever happened to you where you were happily enjoying something and then you experienced the good stuff and you thought, wow, I don't think I can ever go back? Well, that's what today's passage is about. It's here to remind us not to settle for less. It's here to shake us out of our complacency. To say, come on, wake up, there's more. This famous well-loved passage from Acts 2 is asking us, what kind of Christianity, what sort of experience of God are we settling for? Taste this, it's saying, there's more. I thought this would be a good passage to, to begin our fall season together as I rejoin you after a wonderful sabbatical this summer and as we sort of regroup and kick off the next leg of our adventure together. I thought it would be good for us to remember that there's more, that there's so much more. How could it be otherwise with God? I tasted some of this more this summer as I had an opportunity to put aside some of the pressures and the daily responsibilities and and to get lots of unhurried, uninterrupted time alone with God. I got to taste again God's goodness to, to sit in God's presence and to remember what God is like. At times, it was a bit like rediscovering really good pizza. And I hope this passage can help us to do that this morning as well. Because there is more. There's so much more. Today's passage gives us a picture of what that more is. And so, that's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to first look at this passage and remember together with you what the more is which is available to God's people. And then... I'd like to step back from the passage and look at the context in the book of Acts, the story in which this passage is found, because the context gives us the why there is more. It reminds us why there's more. So first the what, there's more of, and then the why, there's more. This is an amazing passage. It's it's a famous and and well-loved passage for good reason. It, It presents a really attractive picture of the early church and what? It was. They're devoted. They're earnestly sitting at the feet of the apostles, learning. They're selling their possessions and and sharing with one another to make sure everyone has what they need. They're eating together and enjoying one another. They're praying and praising God with glad and sincere hearts. Mm. Where did oh there we go? Okay. Um And I don't know about you, but I would love to be part of a community like this. And this community described here has inspired countless Christians to pursue more. It inspired Bill Hybels and gave him the vision for the dynamic Willow Creek Community Church. It's inspired whole revival movements, groups who wanted to get back to the purity and the vitality and the power of the early church. And some of them grew to be whole denominations. I've heard Tim Keller down in the city use this passage to teach on revival. He's pointed out that a vital, revived church will have a good balance of five elements, which we see here in various forms. They'll have theological depth, solid teaching. They'll have anointed worship, passion, heart that they express to God. They will have active, energetic evangelism, boldness, attractiveness, toward those outside. They will have compassionate social concern, a generous sacrificial spirit to to help those who are less fortunate. 
and they will have intimate fellowship, closeness, warmth within their community. Again, wouldn't you love to be part of a community like that? We have some of that at CBC, right? But don't you want more? Mike Breen, the founder of the 3DM missional movement, he's put it more simply. He describes the early church as a red-hot center. Isn't that good? A red-hot center. A group of people who are like a bonfire in a dark world, blazing with warmth, with light, with power. And and Breen specifically mentions three qualities such churches have, and, and we see all of them in the Acts 2 church. They have passionate spirituality and their upward connection with God. They have missional zeal out toward the world, and they have radical community within their fellowship. And it's my hope and my prayer that that we continue to become more and more like that here at CBC. So let's take a closer look now at at our passage and how it describes this Acts 2 church. It gives us five qualities. Ready for the five? The first one is mission. It begins and it ends with mission, with outreach. uh, This passage is sandwiched between two reports of how this community is reaching out and growing. First in verse 41, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. This is no small group we're talking about. This is a large, dynamic, rapidly growing community. And notice you don't have to be small to have close and vibrant fellowship. You do have to have good leadership and no doubt good organization to pull that off. But you don't have to be small. And then listen also second to verse 47 at the end of this passage. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This group is so dynamic, they're, they're gaining notice, they're attracting people. They're hanging out in the temple, which is the public place, it's the, the gathering place, the main public venue in the city of Jerusalem, and this group's light is so bright, their community is so dynamic that they're attractive. And as you read the bigger context of Acts, we'll talk a bit more about this later, it's clear that this group is not sitting passively by while God is doing the adding. No, they are engaged with God in mission. Peter and the other apostles are preaching. In verse 43, we read the apostles are doing signs and wonders. And as you continue to read the book of Acts, you find out it's not just the apostles. It's many other believers as well. They're sharing about Jesus wherever they go. They too are doing miracles. This is a church active on mission together. That's the first quality we see in this church. Then we see four other qualities that this community has. These four are all listed in verse 42. But then they are um, each unpacked and expanded one by one consecutively in verses 43 to 46. So let's look at two through five. The second quality in verse 42 is that we read that the apostles are teaching the people. And then in the elaboration in verse 43, we learn that the apostles are also performing wonders and signs. This is a church with leadership, with apostolic leadership. And apostolic leadership is different from pastoral leadership. You see, apostles and pastors are wired very differently. Pastors have a tendency to want to circle the wagons and corral the sheep and to make sure everyone's safe and well-fed and cared for. 
Apostles, on the other hand, are always looking for new territory to take. Apostle literally means sent one, and apostles are especially aware of what's true of all of us, and that is that we're sent on a mission. Apostles are missionaries. And that's who's leading this church in Acts 2, missionaries. They're teaching the people about Jesus, and they're teaching them about his mission to save the world. They're also preaching the gospel. They're performing miracles, signs and wonders to validate and to demonstrate the good news that Jesus' kingdom is coming into the world and that Jesus wants the sick to be healed and Jesus wants the captives to be set free. And the apostles, as they perform these miracles, it it causes people to be filled with awe through the leadership of the apostles. These brand new believers are both learning about Jesus and also seeing Jesus' power and Jesus' compassion on display in real lives, in mission, and they're in awe of Jesus. That's apostolic leadership. Third thing we see in this community is that they are marked by, and here's a word that's hard to translate, koinonia. That's the Greek word in verse 42. The NIV translates it fellowship. The problem is that we think of fellowship as catching up on the week during coffee hour. And that is not what this word means. It includes that, but it is way more than that. Koinonia means sharing. It means having in common and participating in common. And to understand what that means, we have to go down to verses 44 and 45 where it's described and unpacked. All the believers were together and had everything in common. There's, there's a word that's re- related in Greek to the word koinonia. They, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So there you see a picture of koinonia. That's fellowship in the biblical sense. It's more than coffee hour. It's also doing life together and sharing life together. The believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold their possessions to meet each other's needs. I love the way uh, pastor and writer Randy Frazee describes what it takes to have this kind of real true community. He says it involves having a common place to regularly be together, having common possessions, lending, borrowing, sharing, giving, and it involves having a common purpose, a common mission. That's koinonia, and that's what this community in Acts 2 had. It's not communism. It's not abolishing private property and and instituting state control over who has what. No, it's it's a generous spirit. It's a sense of family. What's mine is yours. Mi casa es tu casa. You are important to me, and if, if you need something and I can help you out, I will. Koinonia, biblical fellowship. Then fourth, and related to this, in verse 42, is the breaking of bread together. It's expanded in verse 45. Every day they continued to to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They meet together regularly. They eat together in uh, opening their homes to one another, hanging out together, eating, celebrating, and You may know that there's a debate about the breaking bread part, whether it means just eating regular meals together or whether they're um, celebrating the communion or the Lord's table meal together. 
And the answer I'm convinced, as is so often with answers to Bible questions, is yes. <laughs> yes, regular meals. Yes, the communion meal. And, and here's why I say this. Because Luke is the author of the book of Acts. The same Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke. The gospel which it seems on every page that Jesus is at a meal. And when Jesus shows up at a meal, things always happen. Jesus always seems to reveal more of who he is. This is such an important theme for Luke. And so it's no surprise that Luke ends his gospel with the famous Emmaus Road story after Jesus' resurrection when Jesus is walking with two disciples and they don't recognize him. And then they get to their house and they invite Jesus into their home and they sit down, they share a meal together And when Jesus breaks the bread at the meal, what happens? They finally realize it's Jesus. For Luke, when you break bread at a meal, that's when Jesus shows up. And so meals, yes, and communion meals, yes, as well. This community is eating together. They're remembering Jesus as they eat together. And as they do, they remember and experience that Jesus is is with them in their midst. And then fifth, finally, in verse 42, this group is praying. Or as Luke adds in verse, uh, not or, as Luke adds in verse 47, they're praising God. In, in all they're experiencing, and they're, they're, uh, they're, they're very aware of, of God's role and, and God's place in all of it. They're staying closely connected to God. They're, they're asking, they're Uh, drawing on his power. They're giving God adoration and praise and thanksgiving, no doubt, for all God has done for them and for all God means to them and for all God is to them and asking for God to give them more. What a picture, right? I don't know about you, but I want more of that in our community here. We've tasted it, right? This is not unfamiliar to us, but don't you want more? And the description of this community here in Acts is put here for us just for that reason, to remind us that there's more. So moving to our second focus now, why? Why is there more? Why is it possible for a community like this to exist? What drives them? What inspires them? What do they know or what do they have that we don't fully know or have? What gives them their joy, their vitality, their spiritual power? What in particular motivates them to sell their possessions and share them with one another, right? Because, you know, that one stands out. (laughs) Nobody's quick to part with, with their money, their possessions, what they love, what they're attached to, what they place their security in, what they've worked so hard to gain and enjoy. But the early church's act of Sharing is even more startling and even more surprising when you realize that they're selling their land. Luke says in verse 42, they sell property and possessions. And as we continue to read in Acts 4 and 5, we see confirmation that this involves selling off land. And what you need to realize is that it was a cardinal value among the Jewish people that you never, ever sell your land. (laughs) This value goes all the way back to Moses and Joshua. When God's people entered the promised land and God gave them as an inheritance, each tribe, each clan, each family, an inheritance of land. 
And then God gave them laws and commands to set up a system which protected people's ancestral rights to keep their land. You weren't supposed to sell your land to a foreigner. If a man died, his brother had to marry the widow to raise up children to inherit his land so it could stay in the family. If you had to sell your land, a relative called a kinsman redeemer was supposed to help you buy it back as quickly as possible. And if all that failed, there was the year of Jubilee, where every 50 years, all land reverted back to the original owners. Land was important. Land was a God-given blessing. You'd never, ever sell your land So what motivates this group of Jews to sell their land and to give away the proceeds to share it with one another? Well, to tackle this why question about sharing possessions and and, uh, property and also about why this community is such a red-hot center in general, we've got to pull back the camera lens now from our passage and consider the broader context. Because this vibrant community is in the midst of a larger story. There are broader events taking place which explain why this community is what it is. And so let's look at that bigger picture and let's explore why there is more in this community and by extension for us as well. First reason why there is more. There is more because the Holy Spirit has come. Right? Just notice in what chapter in Acts this passage takes place. Chapter 2, the chapter which recounts the great day of Pentecost, the day that Jesus Christ poured out his spirit on his followers. In fact, we read read verse 41, which, which tells what happened after Peter preached his Pentecost sermon, how he was describing to all the curious onlookers there at Pentecost how and why the Holy Spirit had just been poured out on Jesus' followers. And 41 is just the end of that. We read, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This community in Acts 2 is what it is because the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon them. Now let's remember a little bit about the Holy Spirit. God had promised in many places in the Old Testament that one day in the future, God would bring about a new age. A new age of salvation, of blessing, of peace, uh, an age when all things would be restored. And what would be one of the hallmarks of this age? The pouring out of God's Spirit. The Spirit would bring dead things to life, dry bones to life, Ezekiel 37. The Spirit would cause desert places to bloom, Isaiah 25. The Spirit would turn cold hearts, stone cold hearts, to soft flesh hearts, would cause uh, resistant, disobedient hearts to gladly walk in the ways of the Lord, Ezekiel 36. The Spirit would enable young people to dream dreams and old people to see visions and empower God's people to perform signs and wonders, Joel 2. And so it's not surprising that in Acts chapter 2, immediately after the Spirit is finally poured out, we see God's people like a smoldering ember bursting into flame. Now they're, they're, they're pulsing with, with life and with warmth and with power and with vitality. There is more because God has poured out his spirit. And folks, this is the same spirit who is available to us today. 
That's why down through history, ever since Acts 2, whenever God's Spirit has come to a group of people in a fresh way, they have experienced more. More of God. More passionate spirituality. More missional zeal. More radical community. Second reason why there's more. I've, I've already alluded to it, but let me elaborate. With the death of, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and with the pouring out of the Spirit, a new age has dawned. The age to come, the age of peace, shalom, blessing, restoration, resurrection that the prophets had foretold, this age has come. This explains the radical acts of sharing that we see among the believers in Acts 2 and the surprising fact that these Jews are selling off their land, their God-given inheritance. There's only one thing that would, would cause them to part with their land, and that is that a brand new age has dawned. An age so superior, so different from the past age that land no longer mattered like it had. That your prized possessions no longer mattered. That what you looked, what you took your greatest pride and, and found your greatest security in no longer mattered. Or, or rather, that there was something now that mattered more. Being part of God's new, saved, redeemed people, full of God's own spirit, God's presence, and given the new purpose of extending God's salvation and blessing to the whole world, that's what mattered more. The, the excellent uh, New Testament scholar Gordon Fee was once asked by a student, it, it, the student asked, if you were to become a pastor again, how would you do it? What would you uh, focus on? And, and here was Fee's reply. He said, no matter how long it might take, I would set about with a single passion to help a local body of believers recapture the New Testament church's understanding of itself as an eschatological community, a people living the life of the age to come. Why is there more? There's more because we've entered a new age. A new age which, granted, has not yet fully come, but an age which has begun to come nonetheless, and which is coming first and foremost among those who follow Jesus and have received his spirit. Jesus is offering us a taste of heaven, a taste of what is to come, and what the early church was doing was living out that taste. Guess what? We're invited to enjoy and to live out that more as well. Third reason there's more. We have a new family. After all, who sells what they have and shares it with one another so that everyone has enough? Where can you look right now in Westchester County and find groups of people who share what they have radically and generously so that everyone has enough food and enough clothes and enough toys. They're not hard to find. Families, right? Families. In family, we, we do it without a thought. We, we share all the time. We, we sacrifice for one another. We give to one another. We don't think of it as radical or as a great sacrifice. It's just what families do. And guess what? That's how the early church viewed themselves. They were a family, God's family, Jesus' family. Not just some, in some theoretical, super spiritual sense, but in a real sense, in a practical sense. This was so real to them that they sold what they had and they shared it with one another according to whatever someone's needs were. Now, I don't want to over-idealize this because families have 
squabbles over who got more and who deserves this and whose turn it is, right? And so did they. But there was a basic understanding that they were family and that they should share what they had with one another. That's why also they ate together regularly and they they, they were family. They belonged to each other. There's more because we are part of a new family. And then fourth, the last reason there's more. (laughs) And that is that we have a new purpose, a new mission. We've already touched on this. Again, when we pull back the lens from our passage this morning and we look at the whole book of Acts, it's one big story about mission. It's the story of how what Jesus had begun to do when he, when he came for the Jewish people. He, he taught them. He did miracles for them. He, he died and he rose for them. How that salvation now is getting extended and expanded to embrace and to encompass the whole world. That's what the book of Acts is about. The early church we, we read about in today's passage, they're like a brand new baby. They've just been born out of that mission. But yet, they're already engaged in seeing that mission extend to others. When when you have mission, when you have a purpose greater than yourselves, it it bonds you together, it it stretches you, it grows you, it adds vitality and life, just like we see in Acts 2. So that's also why there is more, because of the new mission that we've been given. So in conclusion, let me ask you, Do you want more? Or like me, after 20 years of pizza exile, have you forgotten how much better the more can be? Have you lost your taste for God, for God's presence, for God's working, for God's kingdom? Have you lost your taste for more? Wake up, there's more. And what's the secret for a church like ours to experiencing that more? It, it has to do with discovering our identity, discovering the why that there's more. Realizing that we have been offered God's own spirit. That we're living in a new age. That the old concerns and priorities don't matter so much anymore. And that realize it or not, we're part of a new family. And that we have been given a new purpose, a new mission. So as we close, let me ask you, what hunger has this new passage stirred up, or this passage stirred up in you? Hopefully more than just the hunger for good pizza, because we're having salad today for lunch. (laughs) But what are you hungry for? Let me read the passage again, and, and listen to it, asking yourself, what am I hungry for? Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to koinonia, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What about that more are you hungry for? Let's take a minute and pray. I want to invite you to ask God.
for yourself, for our church, to give you, to give us that more. And then I'll close us. You can just pray silently to yourself. We're your children. You are a father who delights to give good gifts to your children. Please give us more. I realize some of that more feels threatening and scary to us because we are holding on to other things that are not bringing us the security or the satisfaction that we thought that they would, but they're still hard for us to give up. Forgive us, help us to let go, and to open our hands to you to receive more. Give us a heart and a vision to keep asking and to keep seeking and to keep knocking for this more until we receive it. And God, we want to receive it both to enjoy it but also to share it. Help us to be faithful in doing that as well.